0: everyone and welcome to One Control Port Podcast to Tour 45. I'm Benjamin Yoder here today talking about video games. We're going to break up the episode a little bit differently this time around. Uh, mainly, I just have some uh, news stories I kind of want to talk about uh, before we get to the Nintendo Direct specifically. Um, so I figured we'll do the news stories before the Patreon question that I want to talk about and then we'll just go into like a deep top dive of the Nintendo Direct. So if you don't have any interest in what I have to say about the Nintendo Direct, You can cut yourself off after the Patreon question if you want, and then move on with your life from there. Um, But for now, I'm going to talk about the most important things about video games. Movies. Um, If you don't know, uh, we actually have, like, these community nights um, on one show report in the Discord channel uh, run by uh, space. Galaga? He's Mr. T in the stream. Um, I believe it's Space Galaga in the Discord. <laughs> but uh, basically, watch something every, like, uh, Saturday, basically. Usually it's like an anime, or it could be... It's really pretty broad range, actually. Um, but one thing I did personally request was to watch Final Fantasy XV Kingsglaive, which if you don't know what that is, that is a movie they released, I believe, before Final Fantasy XV came out, actually. And so, I believe it was in theaters. Um, however, it did come out on, like, you know, Blu-ray and everything. So... Um, but, uh, it was something that I kind of, I didn't want to say I thought negatively of it in the past. Uh, I think the thing that kind of pushed me away from watching it initially is when I started Final Fantasy XV and started like saying, I'm not a huge fan of the story and stuff like that. Um, I had a lot of people tell me, oh, you need to watch the movie Final Fantasy 15 Kingsglaive to like fully understand what happened in the beginning. And to me, that's. That's never a good thing when you have to tell me I need to go outside of this video game to enjoy it. I think it's a little more understandable when you have video games that are sequels to one another, things like that. I think ultimately you should always aim that if somebody jumps in at a certain point in the story, they should be able to enjoy it overall, right? Um, I know there's there's limitations that are brought by that. So I can totally respect a game like Xenosaga episode two and three that like, do not care. Right. They're just like, if you did not play Xenosaga episode one, here's our giant encyclopedia entries. Like who's going to sit there. I, I would be curious to know who the person was, who was like, I'm picking up Xenosaga episode two, which in Europe was, would be probably very likely honestly, because episode one, and episode three didn't get localized. Um, and then they're like, I'm going to read the encyclopedia entries to learn what happened in the original game. Um, and then now I'm going to play Xenosaka episode two. Um, so, so yeah, but anyways, all that aside, I'm not, I'm just not a huge fan of that thing of just like, oh, you gotta, you gotta go watch something else to understand this, or you need to go listen to the drama CDs or read this online story somewhere. Like all of it should be able to be self-contained in the game. And ultimately Final Fantasy 15, I think is not that harmed that much from you not watching King's Clave, the movie. Um, I think where Final Fantasy 15 really is harmed is not playing the DLC, personally I don't think the core game of Final Fantasy XV feels like a, a complete story it feels like a part of that story um I think it's once you add the DLC in it definitely starts to then feel like okay this is this is the story they're trying to tell and you know it, it, if you just play like the base game it's really weird because the characters will like disappear at certain points and be like I'm going to go do a thing and not is like all right. <laughs> and then they just go. And then you're like, okay. And then they show up later and like, did my thing. And you're like, all right, welcome back, I guess. Um, so the DLC shows, you know, when those characters disappear and when they come back, what they went through and and things like that. Um, so so yeah, I think that's a game that or Fallout 15 specific is a game that definitely benefits from you extending outside of it. But I I'd say the core game itself for 15. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of overall in general, but, um, anyways, the movie Kingsglave uh, this is a movie that basically is set before the game starts. It shows you kind of like what happens as Noctis is leaving the town, right? Or leaving his, his kingdom. He's going to go like get married and then he's like on a road trip with his buddies, right? Um, cause his dad sends him out on to go travel to some place to get married. So, the story kind of tells why he sent him on that trip because he kind of more or less knew what was gonna happen or was very likely aware of what was gonna happen basically um anyways so uh it's really just a tale about this one dude who's like a, uh like an immigrant trying to kind of claw his way back up in the world and and also like help people help his family, things like that and um you know and then having loyalty to his king despite you know they're having a lot of reasons not to be loyal and you you see another character that this plays out where it could have gone the other way with uh libertus where libertus like it, it gets like fucking pissed when the p- king is like, no, like I'm doing this, I'm surrendering in this war, basically. Liberty's like, what what the heck, dude? I censored myself that time, but not earlier. <laughs> um so um yeah, and so basically it's just a story about that conflict that goes on and 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 you know if you played the game you kinda already know what's gonna happen for the most part. Um, I can't say, like, I would not trust my judgment on most movies, to be honest with you. I am not a good judge of, like, what a quality movie is. I like the Super Mario Brothers movie, like, not like, ironically, I just like the Super Mario Brothers movie for a lot of reasons that I don't really want to get into now. I've probably talked about it on the podcast before, honestly. So I don't want to say this is a good movie, but I think it is a good story in the context of what Final Fantasy XV is. And um, one thing I did really appreciate about it, and this is obviously something that came tied in later, but having completed a lot of the other DLC content, is um, I personally really liked Final Fantasy XV um, Comrades, which is the multiplayer DLC for Final Fantasy XV. Um, as much as it's kind of content-starved in a lot of ways, and very grindy, and 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 you know it just is not very well-paced, um, I do like. Comrades, I do like where the story pl- takes place in the Fall Fantasy 15 universe, because even though it is more or less meaningless, and in, in some ways its ending cutscene does not even like work into the canon of the the main game. Like, there's a lot of things in Fall Phase 15 when they release the DLC, they like patch stuff back into the main game to make it make more sense. Basically, they didn't even bother with comrades, <laughs> so they just like insert this cutscene in that doesn't really make any sense in the context of of the main game but you know it it, it just just kind of go with the flow I feel like is how I feel about it like this is the intention of like oh you're you're met up with at this point um but it has that connection between uh the kind of the royal guard the, the king's glaive uh in quotes there the royal guard of the king and like the movie tells what the old king's glaive what happened to that group and there is one character um Libertus as I mentioned earlier he gets all like peeved uh during the movie who who shows up in that comrades thing as kind of like the the main dude of the king's glaive now um for reasons you could probably guess what those reasons are, but for reasons, and that is a connection that like I kind of appreciate that they made, obviously the movie came first for comrades, and so they knew what they were doing, but I do appreciate that connection that they made there with that. And, and getting to see this, this, this movie in the context of like, oh, this is kind of like the Final Fantasy 15 comrades movie, essentially. Um, I, I kind of appreciate it in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I think it was a good movie overall. I really enjoyed it. Um, or good. I mean, like I said earlier, I don't want to say it's a good movie because I don't know what a good movie is very well like, like, right. Um, but I, I enjoyed the movie. I think if you like Final Fantasy 15, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, Is it required watching? Not really, but I think it is like a fun thing to kind of add on to the expanding 15 universe. So I think at this point, all I have left for 15, if I wanted to explore more, um, is the anime Brotherhood, I think it's what it's called. Um, And then also there's the books that came out. I'm not going to read the books. I'm not much of a book guy, not much of a book guy. Uh, I've never really read books. I don't know if it's one of those things where like school like beat it out of me kind of thing. I know some people like if you're forced to do something, it will prevent you from ever really getting into it because you have like negative associations with it. And I really feel like reading books for me is associated with school and one of my least favorite things about school being forced to read books I didn't really have any interest in. And and I think I never really gained an appreciation for books in a way that that uh, in that way um so i mainly stick with visual mediums with anime manga video games visual novels some extent all those things right so um i don't think i'll ever read those books unless there's some other adaptation that happens with that however (laughs) one thing i did find out and this i was so surprised by this so if you don't know most of the final fantasy 15 multimedia like universe is dead at this point right comrades is still online you can play comrades obviously you can buy all these games and dlc and all that stuff but they canceled like the last set of dlc they're gonna put out and and they put those books out and as far as i'm aware those books are done um (laughs) so there was a mobile game and this we're not talking about king's knight king's knight is also dead which was final Fantasy 15 kind of related they played the game king's knight in final Fantasy 15 and then they made a real king's knight mobile game you could play which was kind of bizarre. I'll be honest with you. Uh, King's Knight being like an old NES game, they kind of made a rebooted f- version of it for mobile. I I don't know how like popular King's Knight is in Japan. I don't feel like in the West. I feel like it's that game people go like, oh, Square Enix made games before, or Square made games before Final Fantasy. Let's go look at them. You're like King's Knight, you're like, mm, I don't know about King's Knight. I don't know about this game. <laughs> it does, it does not play great. Admittedly, I have not played it in a very long time. I do not even have my copy anymore. I must have traded it in because I have no idea. Or else it would have gone. Um, anyways, uh so, so they had that mobile game, they shut that down. However, there was another mobile game called Final Fantasy 15, I think New Empires or something like that. I don't remember for sure what the name of it was. This was like the most generic-looking mobile game. It's made by like a random Western developer, and as far as I can tell, is the only game they've they've made. And it like has very much that like, oh, like come save me, my lord, kind of add vibe to it, mobile games have. Where it's just like, they are kind of slightly leaning into some weird horny stuff at times with with the advertising. And this game does that. Um, And uh, so the last ad for this game is like 2018. So it's been a while. However, the game is still going. And they're still updating it. I don't know what they're updating it with but they're still updating it and there's like a whole long review thread on I think it was like Google Play of people being like this game's so cash shoppy now I don't even understand why anyone plays it anymore it's all pay to win kind of thing but I'm amazed this thing is still online and still going and people are playing it apparently I just I would never have thought I would have thought that it would have shut down along with all the other Final Fantasy 15 dreams so Nomura's vision lives on in a crappy mobile game. I shouldn't say it's crappy. It's probably fine. Don't listen to me. Look at how I'm being like degrading of some random mobile game. It does not look good. (laughs) I will say, but I've never played it. I don't know how it is. I'm sure a lot of people worked on it and put a lot of effort into it. And it's probably like a reasonable game. I would expect most video games are reasonable, right? We're not talking about soul brain and lady Santa here. Or stuff like that. Most video games that come out with a name like Final Fantasy are gonna have some basic level of quality to it, and it may not be as good as other like games that are like highly valued, like in in, in that kind of space. But um, it, it, it at least is probably a video game, and it probably has some elements of fun with it. Maybe like totally average, kind of like straightforward, like boring in some ways. So yeah, I think I think uh, yeah. So so don't be me. Don't randomly call video games garbage i don't I, I don't want to look final fantasy 15 new empire fans let me know what you like about it tell me i'm curious actually that is actually something i would like to know like how is, that game is uh there are videos on youtube i can watch them but i'm not i'm too lazy but if you want to comment about final fantasy 15 new empires there you go um the other thing i did this week is uh well i will say this um as i said last week things are kind of uh crazy right now in my life so there's not a lot of space for me to play games i tried to or i was going to play space raiders on the gamecube because that's somewhat short did not happen yet at least i'm recording this on a saturday night So, but I have stuff I gotta do on Sunday, so I'll be surprised if I get to it. But I might sit down and play Space Raiders sometime this weekend. Um, so the only other game I've played is Evergrace, which we streamed. Um, and I want to say one thing about Evergrace so far. If you don't know, this is a, a action RPG by, from software. Um, so it kind of has that, (sighs) I don't want to be too mean about this. I don't really care for the whole, like, oh, the, like, Dark Souls... Like, making so many connections to Dark Souls through all of From Softwares games. That's not to say there aren't connections. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of things about Evergrace that probably do feel a lot like Dark Souls. A lot of, like, weird random, like, death traps and things like that. I don't know how much of the team members were, were involved. But I don't really like, you know... P- drawing a line between, like, Enchanted Arms and Dark Souls seems, like, really weird, right? Enchanted Arms being, like, a JRPG. At least, in my mind, I do not see a connection. But, hey, if you can convince me otherwise... Good on ya. So that's one thing I, <laughs> I'm kind of a jerk about. I probably shouldn't be, you know, draw what lines you want, right? I, I say Gunvolt and Sonic are very similar in my headspace. So, you know, I have my own weird connections that I do. Um, but anyway, so it is it is that developer from Dark Souls uh, people's, uh, or or teen, teen names at least. Um, and my fear with this game initially when I played it was like, this is probably um, going to run into the problem I have with uh, Secret Amana. Secret amana is a game that I have not beat and have not played a ton of. I will know maybe a few hours of it um but I do not like how Secret amana plays um if you don't know how Secret amana plays and there's a lot of other games that play like this is you have like a meter and when you attack um it drains that meter so like when but when when you finish attacking it fills up almost immediately but if you sit there and spam the attack button you do less and less damage um to the point that you will basically do one damage per hit very quickly mind you it's not like something that like is like oh on your sixth hit you do one damage it is like if you just sit there and spam the button your second or third hit are going to be doing one damage um so that was my fears that evergrace had the same problem where i just feel like it's a lot of like stop and start combat because you're just kind of like smacking something then running back and smacking something and running back For some reason it did not bother me here I don't know why it might just be maybe I've I've, because it's been a long time since I've played Secret of Mana probably been like seven years um maybe I've just come around to enjoy it but there is like some neat strategy to just like attacking backing off attacking backing off like it's it's a different feel of like an action game right um there's no really defensive mechanisms as far as I can tell, things like that. So so I did end up enjoying it more than I thought I would. And there is like some fun puzzle solving that doesn't maybe have like a lot of um, hints that the game gives you, I feel like. I'm, I'm like, trying to figure figure out, like, actively off the top of my head if I, like, how many hints they give me in the puzzle solving. I guess there are, like, text boxes that will be like, oh, you have to wear, like, the royal robes to open this door and things like that. And there's, like, this old dude who's like, oh, I saw a dog somewhere. So you have to go look for a dog and then the dog gives you some armor, basically. And then, well, well, the dog finds armor and you take it. Uh, the dog does not give you armor <laughs> per se, and then you go and you, you know, like run off and you do the next thing in the quest line right so it is it is maybe i don't know, I think it's a game that feels um maybe a little more shrouded than it actually is, which I think is kind of like a nice thing about the game like it it, it makes it feel um almost like i don't know it feels like you you are how am i how do i want to put this i guess it makes it feel like you're really working in the exploration aspect to find solutions um and even though you don't really have like a clue of where you need to go for some reason it kind of makes you feel smart when you find stuff and you like go and and use it i don't know what i'm talking about i think i need more time at the game to figure out what i mean with that we're only like two dungeons in so it is easy to get lost i will say but i feel like maybe that's the more the bigger thing is like even though if you get lost the areas are small enough and direct enough that you can kind of find the solution without too much trouble, as long as you search around, right? Um, maybe that's what I mean, but either way, um, I am enjoying it so far and I'm glad I'm enjoying it. I I always, <laughs> you know, I don't let it change how I talk about a game, or at least I try not to, right? Um, you know, what goes on in your mind and things like that, it's a whole other thing. That's why you disclose you know, um, um, you know, like say for example, like IntiCrates paying for my, my hammer. That's why you disclose that, that when you talk about a game, because it's like, even though this really doesn't like in my mind matter that much, you know, maybe someone could look at it and be like, oh, the CEO of Inticrates Creates is nice to you. So therefore, you know, that changes your, your opinion and like subconsciously it should, subconsciously maybe it does although like a red robin's hamburger is probably not going to change my thoughts too much i would think um anyways but uh uh you know with parasite eve like i kind of felt bad of how much i just could not care for the combat that game i did not care i was just like this is like the concept was fine but i just did not want to play like i did not find that that combat very enjoyable um at at the very least there. And so I feel like guilty about that. So so I'm, I'm like happy that I'm playing this game I'm like okay, I genuinely enjoy this game to the extent that I want to like uh uh keep playing it. Parasite Eve is a game that I kind of there's a lot of good things about Parasite Eve that I enjoyed. I do not regret the like 3.5 I said I would have given it, but like I think that game maybe maybe if if it were just me, maybe I would have done like a 3. I can't remember what I said during the cash or the the community review, but yeah. Anyways, Really all I'm saying is I'm I'm glad I'm enjoying it and I'm glad that uh that, that that you know so far at least. And so that means I can feel a little better about about you know not just being a Debbie downer on stream about it. Some really interesting like graphical work in that game because you know it is like one of the early PS2 games. And so it does a lot of like very aggressive culling, which if you don't know is like where they cut out parts of the environment behind you to basically like reduce resource loads and that's a very common thing on like PlayStation 64 all those kind of platforms because they were working with so little that they had to really optimize that 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 hardware to make things like run at 20 frames per second right um, and in the case of this game, it probably didn't necessarily need it. It seems to run very smooth as far as I can tell. And it's not maybe like doing a ton with the PS2's hardware. Maybe the game itself did need that optimization before they, you know, put it out. But it feels like a game that's built with that PS1 optimization in mind of we're going to call everything out behind you. It's not super clean. It does happen. Like when you're walking, you can see like the ground disappear behind, like on the, as it goes off the screen sometimes. I actually thought it was like a PS2 glitching out initially. But once I realized it was happening, it was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. There's also some trees with like some lighting coming through and the like lighting is attached to the tree itself in a lot of ways in like these weird strands. So you can kind of tell that it's just like this stretched, like opaque texture they have coming off this tree, stretching down as you get closer, that texture disappears essentially. So it's really interesting to see that kind of thing. Uh, so early on on the system and, and people trying to figure out how to make that kind of lighting work because Lighting, especially in that era, you know, was typically, I don't think, dynamic. It usually was just, like, we baked it into the environment in some way or another, whether that be little literal hanging textures in the world or, like, you know, the lighting being baked onto the texture itself and things like that, so... Anyways, Evergrace, pretty cool so far. Um, It is like a 12-ish hour game, so I think it'll take about a month probably for us to get through. Not quite sure we'll end up playing next, although one thing I might try to do, especially now that I have a new PC, is uh, sit down and play some Dojin games on stream. What I'm thinking what we'll do, specifically, is uh, go through a university disc. Now, that can present some problems, I'll say Why? Um, but with going through a university disc, you know, they basically have all the, uh, in my university, I mean like, you know, literally student project discs. I got some at ComiCat for various years, and, but on those discs, they typically have all their previous student projects from previous years, at least on, a, on the discs I have, that seems to be the case for multiple universities. Um, and so, uh, I would like to go through maybe like one university's disc and just like really focus on it and just go through those games individually. Are they completely shallow? Yes. Is it going to be a nightmare to set up because every game's going to be handled differently? Absolutely. Some of those games at some point are going to get so old that we can't run them. I think there was one disc I had that went back to like 1999, which like super like cool props on them for like including everything back to then. But you know, getting that to run on a Windows 10 machine is probably not going to go so great. (laughs) So so we'll see. Uh, My Windows XP machine is still rotting in the corner over here. At some point, I'm going to figure it out. It's just been so busy. It's been so busy. I, I feel super bad about the channel content. So if you are just like, Ben, where is stuff? Where is the content? You know, I I, I do apologize for that. Um, I know the streams and, and podcasts are not always what people want. But I'm going to try really hard to get stuff done. Um, and also, you know, it should be worth mentioning, I'm probably not going to have much throughout February, unfortunately. So... Um, I will try to do, like, a new Patreon post. I think what I might do with the Patreon is, like, uh, flatten out the payment, uh, plan again. Originally, I dropped it back down to two at some point, then I put it back at three. I think I'm gonna put it back down to two, um, and just include the, uh, um... The behind-the-scenes content at the five-dollar level as well. So you get the three-dollar, just like here's my my little amount of, of amount that I provide for you know the basic thing. And then there's the five-dollar level that will be you know all content. Is what I'm thinking. It's not that way yet, though. I s- will say. I was thinking about transitioning to Patreon, but knew, let's do news. <laughs> let's do let's do the news here real quick. Uh, basically, there's two stories I want to talk about. These happen separately from the um, Nintendo Direct. Um, So one is that the Google Stadia, uh, platform or whatever is basically, I think they've already mentioned this before, but they're basically de-emphasizing that uh, Google is now. And so basically it sounds like they're not going to go forward with like really like trying to push Stadia as a gaming platform. It sounds like the service will remain online. It's just, they're not really going to be doing a lot to support it, unfortunately. Um, I'm not surprised by that. I don't think anybody was after the launch. Um, but one thing I do want to say about streaming stuff in general um, is, uh, you know, I think I think what we're really waiting on with streaming is just finding a model that works and then a, a you know, a publisher essentially who um, has the software library to, to, you know, really push that. And I'm going to guess that's probably going to be, If I were to guess right now, especially with, like, Game Pass and everything, maybe they'll end up being Microsoft in the future. Um, But, you know, I I do think that one thing that shouldn't be lost with with all these streaming services going down and, like, not, you know, moving forward is that the technology still does work um, pretty well. Like, even when I was playing PlayStation Now in probably, like, 2015, I think is when it was, um, that service was, like... uh, you know, depending on the game, it could feel like you were just playing a local game. Now, there is there a delay? Absolutely. How that, how much that's going to bother people is going to vary by person by person, and it's going to depend on the game by game basis, right? Um, but I do think that the technology works in a lot of cases, and it is something that um, really could benefit um, um, a lot of people. It just may be, you know, either the the right platform holder has to come out and and, and push it. Probably Microsoft, if anybody, on the uh, the main gaming scene side. And then also, there's also the case with, like, I think Google, they're talking to individual developers, so there's, like, the case that, like, maybe Bungie has, like, their own, like, local client or something like that that you could you could stream to or something um, for Destiny 2 or whatever, right? Um, wh- is that how you want to play the game? I don't. Um, I imagine most people listening to this podcast do not want to play the game that way. Um, but, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, looking at Ocarina of Time and how that functions on the Nintendo Switch... And the people that enjoy that game as it is, um, I think there's a big audience of people who do not care. <laughs> so as long as it's, like, playable, there's some people who will just sit down and enjoy it. So I think there's an audience there for that, and I think the technology does work. I think it's really just down to how do you actually sell that model and how do you actually provide the games to make it appealing, Right. Um, so we'll see. Um, I think that's something that will eventually happen. Um, is it a terrifying still? Yes, it is. You know, I'm still terrified by the prospect of games launching exclusively on a streaming service and all that data being held up within, you know, Microsoft or wherever and not having a way to back those up. Because, you know, the thing with streaming is that once the the service goes down, you know, that game's gone. And it's not like, you know, a Netflix or a, a uh, you know, something else along those lines, like where you could, you know, pretty easily just screen record and, you know, pirate that stuff and back it up that way. I'm sure there's plenty of people who have backed up a variety of Netflix content that may or may not have seen some kind of physical release. Um, but the the, the the experience of watching something is incredibly different from the experience of playing something, right? And, you know, there's no way for us to really capture a game externally without just having that original code i mean you could have the video of somebody playing to that game and people can recreate it as best they can like look at the uh weird nintendo 64 projects that recreate things all the time I, I was i think it was hard for games posted up something that was like a mother um uh three like recreation demo somebody's trying to create based off the trailers that are out there which like good on them because like i think like the, the two recreations I'm aware of, which is the Super Mario 64 Space World, and then also Zelda Space World Ocarina of Time, those are based, I believe, still on those core games. It's just the changes they made to make it look or play like how it was in that original, you know, whether that be how Mario slides, you know, how Link controls, all that stuff, remaining data in the game that they've been able to pull for those. Mother 3, you have literally, like, basically nothing. I mean, you have the Game Boy Advance game, but it's a very different game, well, from a gameplay or like a game engine perspective, it's probably a very, very different game than what Mother 3 on 64 was going to be. And I'm guessing a lot of that stuff is not reusable. You're probably only reusing information you have about characters, dialogue, things like that, I would imagine. So, um, you know, it'd be trying to recreate, <laughs> I've on this whole Mother 3 tangent, <laughs> of trying to recreate characters or a gameplay based off something you could only watch, right? Which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, so... Still worried about that, honestly. But you know, for now, we are somewhat safe. And the nice thing about, you know, the other thing I should say, and this is something I made, at, I said at the time with Stadia, like you know, some people will be like, well, you get the patch games now, anyways. Um, yes, but with patching games, data still gets installed on the individual's PC. It's the games that have server side information where it's really challenging. You know, you can't just you know install Final Fantasy 14 1.0 locally and it work there's a server doing a bunch of stuff and that is where things get problematic, um, with that. And then there's, there are ways you can deal with that though, with like packet sniffing stuff, I believe and things like that. Right. Not that I know how to do that, but to my understanding, you can kind of like read data from a game as it's sent out and returned essentially. Um, but you know, you have to have somebody doing that when the game's online. So anyways, Stadia stuff aside, just wanted to like reiterate that I think that technology works. I think it's just a matter of finding where it's going to work before it actually really starts to take off um and and there's like uh was it parsec people are using parsec like not only within businesses but also um you know uh you know i've played with games with people over parsec and stuff and while it's not perfect you know it's pretty pretty reasonable as long as both players have a good connection with that so The other story I want to talk about is Chocobo GP. This actually happened, like, I think at the same time as the direct, despite not showing up. Maybe it was in the Japanese direct, actually. I don't remember for sure. But anyways, Chocobo GP, um, that's that uh, Final Fantasy racing game, Uh, you know, although there has been other Chocobo GP games, um, they announced that they're going to be including um, Squall and Cloud in that, which, you know, I'm... I'm I'm personally a fan of, like, humanoid characters in games. So the more humanoid characters you put in that game, probably the better I'm going (laughs) to feel about that. You know, I like that the little white mage girl is in there and everything. So, um, although I'm always more of a fan of, like, the... The more obscure characters. I, I'm not a huge fan of like Squall and Cloud showing up in there, but I'll take that over. Nothing. Um, but the interesting thing about it is uh Squall, I think he's just like a purchase you can buy in the game using Gil, which I think Gil is the in-game currency. But Cloud is listed as a level 60 season pass reward. And I was trying to read the Japanese posts or or Read. I just had a conversation with someone about this this weekend of just like, you know, being upfront about using machine translation. It's something that I, you know, always need to make sure I do. I'm sure there's times I've missed it. I mean, I'm using a machine translation to look at this post, and there's something called like Mithril or something like that, which is like a another currency, and I I could not pull it from the post. And there may have been English resources online for this. It seems like that might be a paid currency. And it seems like that is given to you with login bonuses and that you can also buy season passes with the mithril currency. So I'm guessing they are maybe charging for the game and then also, you know, billing you on top of that for the season pass. Don't know that for sure. Um, but I just was surprised to kind of see that in a racing game. Um, I usually only really associate season pass or, uh, yeah, season like battle passes with, um battle royales and shooters and things like that i'm sure other games have them those are the games i personally associate with them so i was kind of surprised to see that in there but we'll see i don't again i don't know for sure that that's actually what that setup is looks like um but it'll be interesting if that is the case so anyways that was it for like normal news stuff so that's all i got there hey it's time for the patreon question we're gonna talk about patreon question time Uh, like I said, there hasn't been any new Patreon content, unfortunately, due to me being busy. I'm going to try to get something up this week for people. Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to, you can, uh, donate or not donate, pay $3, you know, per month and essentially, uh, get a, um, uh, the ability to ask a Patreon question. Um, and then also there's the $5 reward level that gives you bonus content. So, um and the ter- two current patreon people i forgot to list it out last week um it is uh somebody listed as discreet i don't know if that's like uh, <laughs> that is if you set yourself to like anonymous if that's what it says but they're listed as discreet so i'll say thank you discreet person um and then also paul daniel is also still a contributor as well so so they're my two patreon contributors right now however neither asked questions so we get the level up skip question. If you don't know, this is a question pulled from a website about how to talk to gamers. (laughs) And so I was like, well, I'm probably not going to get Patreon questions anytime soon. I have not really advertised the Patreon super hard because I have been really busy, unfortunately. Um, so, so that's part of the reason why as well. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to ask Patreon question, you can do that. But since I don't, um, I'm pulling questions from this website and, the question I got for this week was, um, have you ever had to stop playing a game because it was too scary? Now, I'm going to talk about this in two ways. I feel like I always make caveats with these these questions, or at least I like say, like, I'm going to answer it a different way than how they ask me. Um, I want to answer it with, with two questions. Um, one from when I was a kid, and then one that's a, uh, not that recent, probably about, like, 10 years ago or so, um, but, but probably the most um, scared I've... Maybe not scared, but... You know, for the context of this question, let's just say scared. The most scared I've been playing a video game in my adult life. Um, so when I was a kid, this is a really weird one. Um I was playing Star Fox 64. i had beat Star Fox 64 multiple times. Uh, you know, I've gotten the secret ending and everything, all that stuff, you know, where you go and fight Andross and and he becomes a brain, all that stuff. I don't know why this happened, but at some point after playing Star Fox many a time, I got really scared of Andross, and I'm not sure why that happened, but suddenly I never wanted to fight Andross. And maybe part of it was also like I did not like the encounter that much or that last section. It may have been the atmosphere of that part of the game, but for some reason, even though I beat it many times, me and Andross weren't talking at the time. So what would happen is I would get to the tunnel sequence where you're flying into Andros where he's talking to you and I would just fly off to the left and crash myself in the wall and kill myself and then I'd just start the game over. I have no idea why that happened. It was very bizarre to me, um, but it happened. I was probably like nine maybe, so eight, nine probably. Uh, I think it was like shortly after Ocarina of Time came out, so probably within that range. Um, so that was as a kid. Um, I tr- I'm trying to think if there's any other like games that scared me as a kid, but usually uh Resident Evil spooked me a little bit, you know, I, but I was watching somebody play Resident Evil and then, and then <laughs> like, uh, I just was like, you know, got spooked at night and then was like, <gasps> I think I hear things outside and all that stuff. So as an adult, I played a game called Yumi Nikki. Um, and Yumi Nikki, I would say is not really like your standard spooky game. It's not like trying to do jump scares and stuff at you it is all atmosphere and there's a couple parts of that game that are maybe a little more scary than than usual but for the most part that is a game that builds tension and then it never releases it is just pure tension all the time when i'm playing it in, in, in the with like a light on behind me perfectly cool if if but like i tried playing it without the light on once that did not go well i was just like i want to turn the light on desperately um, so that was the one time, like as an adult, it, it kind of spooked me. I think the, the thing, the thing that really got to me when I was doing that was I was playing it that way. And then there's this one place with like kind of this, these walls that glow. I'm sure there's a lot of parts in that game where the walls that glow, but he like walked in, uh, like, uh, maybe like clicked on a wall somewhere and it would like warp you into this room. And there's just like this giant face that would slowly fade in from what I recall. Um, and I remember that being like really unsettling. Um, But that game doesn't really have a lot of jump scares, and the one jump scare it does have that I'm aware of, I think it's called like Ubudua or something like that. Um, Ubudua or something like that. Um, I was very aware of because I was unfortunate at the time, and he showed up all the time as a meme thing, and I already knew, you know, the context behind them, so I knew that he would show up. Basically, you flick a flat or a light in one of the rooms in the game, and he'll he'll change over and show up. So. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the only time And as an adult, I will say like I, and somebody has not really, um, ever been big into spooky, like scary movie stuff. Not really that it like actually scares me. It just is like, I just don't really find them fun or entertaining. Really, um, jump scares or something that I think is kind of more annoying than anything. Um, I think if you go watch my Resident Evil 7 stream, I kind of spoiled myself in that regard. I spend a lot of time just thinking about where jump scares are, when they'll put them in place, how can you, you, like, abuse them and do weird things. Like, you know, I always talk about the one time you're walking up the staircase and the lady grabs your arm, and then, like, if you turn and, like, face the wall where she grabs your arm, she literally just, like, phases through the wall. Not in, like, a, like, oh, spooky horror game, she's a ghost, phases through the wall. The developers just have her fly through the wall as, like, a, you're... Probably looking at the door, so you can't tell this is happening, and so you see her like fly through the wall and grab your arm, <laughs> so stuff like that. Where I'm just like, hmm, let me see how I can break this and like, like not have it play out how the developers want, want it to play out. I'm a little bit of a spoil sport in that regard. So, spooky games never really been my thing personally. So, anyways, that's it for the Patreon question for this week. Thank you again for the Patreon donors. um Again, if you want to ask a question. Uh, feel free to go ahead and do that. I post up a post on Patreon every uh Monday at like three o'clock in the afternoon, Pacific time. Um, uh, but you can comment on it anytime in the week. And as long as it's not like on Friday night, I might miss it on Friday night, depending on when I record the podcast. Um, but uh, you know, or anytime earlier in the week, we'll, you know, I'll probably end up using it as the Patreon question. So yes. Now it's time. Time for everybody's favorite thing in the world i feel like i feel like the nintendo directs are just like probably the most um when it comes to all video events that are not like general ones like you know uh summer game fest e3 things like that um nintendo directs feel like the most impactful i don't really feel like i see the same enthusiasm for state of plays and whatever xboxes show it like the fact that i don't even know what Xbox's show is it says like another thing with that Um, but, uh, I, you know, maybe it's just different audiences, right? I'm probably more aligned with Nintendo fans. And so that's what I see on Twitter and stuff. So, but it does feel like Nintendo Directs are definitely some of the most impactful. Um, I always come into it without any expectations in hopes that, um, I won't be disappointed. However, the one thing I did think about before this, you know, this was a a Nintendo Direct aimed at the first half of 2022 releases. The one thing I was not really hopeful for, of, but thinking that this is probably the last time it could be announced realistically. I mean, they it could, it could do it whenever they want. Um, I was like, this is probably the last time we will have a, a real legitimate chance at Buddy Mission Bond being localized into English. I think if they're not saying it's going to be for the first half of 2022, um, it's probably not happening. That's not to say it can't happen. I just think, you know, it's been a year since that game came out. And if Nintendo was interested enough, they would do it. Maybe Koei Teco does it later or something along those lines. You know, maybe they, they go ahead and publish it on their own in the US. Uh, but at this time, I don't think uh, it's going to happen. I'll be, I would be very happy if I'm wrong. Uh, but it did not show up in this Nintendo Direct. So there we go. Nintendo Direct already ruined. Um, but no, no, this is a great Nintendo Direct in a lot of ways. Um, some of these things, you know, probably don't super apply to me all that much. But are, I think are really interesting to 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 hear about overall um when it comes to old video games probably the lo- like least interesting is earthbound is coming to the switch um um what's it called i forget what it's called nintendo switch online earthbound's coming to that uh, which is that super nintendo rpg everybody loves uh that's kind of set in like america kind of thing although i feel like most people know what earthbound is um and then also they're bringing over earthbound beginnings which is the original. Um, game that came out on the Famicom in Japan called Mother Earthbound is called Mother 2 in Japan because it's the sequel. Um, however, if you did not know, um, I'm, I'm guessing this is pretty common knowledge. Uh, Earthbound uh, for the the NES was, if not completely localized, uh, very closely finished, um, and that was something that was leaked out. There's prototypes that came out about it, and like like I played that game, you know, well before Nintendo officially released it in the U.S. I did buy the wii u copy when when i did when that came out even though i already played it because i wanted to show my support for that because i played through all of mother one or earthbound beginnings Uh, i've never played through earthbound weirdly enough i just went i went for mother one and that was the one and i was like okay i'm good (laughs) i don't know why that happened (laughs) probably just different changes in game tastes and stuff you know like mother was one of the first reviews on the 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 um website and that was when i was very much a more typical nintendo fan and my idea of like an obscure nintendo game at the time was probably mother one <laughs> and earthbound actually probably but i think that was just it was just a different time right um anyways but um so those are coming out what i thought was most interesting though was how these were revealed between the japanese direct and the nintendo direct or the, the the u.s direct so in the u.s direct they lead with earthbound mother Two. But um, then they show Earthbound Beginnings afterwards. In the Japanese Direct, they lead with Mother 1, Earthbound Beginnings, and then go into Mother 2, Earthbound. Um, So I thought that was kind of like a weird switch. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Earthbound is what's beloved here in the US, not so much Mother 1. Earthbound Beginnings... I should probably just stick with Earthbound rather than sit here and jump between names. Um, But I I do think it kind of shows just like how, how the emphasis is so much on that second game here in the US, where, where in Japan, it seems like it is, is more of, um, I don't know. I I mean, obviously I can't speak for Japanese retro gamers and stuff, but I do feel like there might be, um, I'm going to, I'm completely talking about ass right now, just so you know. Um, so one thing I do feel like with Japanese like retro game enthusiasts, I feel like there is more of an appreciation for the 8-bit era than Western game fans. I think a lot of that comes down to, um, I would kind of call in some ways, you know, the, the, the modern day is really probably the golden era of, like, 2D games. There's so much qu- quality content coming out that are 2D sprite-based games. But, like, when we think about standard video games before, the whole, like, wild west of everybody could put a video game out um, actively. Like, like, Super Nintendo is definitely that golden era of, like, 2D video gaming, right? And, and so, like, if you're looking for the perfect 2D games, people hold up games like Super Metroid. I think they're wrong, but Super Metroid, uh a link to the past, Super Mario World, those kind of games, they they kind of hold those up on the holy grails so as like these are perfect video games in a way. Um and I just I just wonder if in Japan it's 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 it's, it's, it's as um focused on the Super Nintendo. I don't know. I would really love like to hear more like Japanese gamer like opinions on that stuff i feel like the like like uh, the conversation of retro games is is and this is you know i fall into this too it feels so focused on um you know what was super popular in the west and then in the modern day in addition to that we have let's explore uh, from from a western perspective what happened in japan right um and so obviously that that's just kind of how it has to go right because none of us really know like like you had to be in a very interesting position to be somebody who's actively playing a pc 98 you know when that was out um uh, filler is in i think a rare position where he was like importing pcfx stuff. there are other people importing pcfx stuff at the time but filler is like an interesting like like perspective on that right he's the guy who did the welcome to pia carrot translation stuff like that so it, it, it was it's you know I, I feel like there's so few people who have that perspective on that kind of thing like actively when it was happening so i would like to see a lot more like um retro game enthusiasts in japan like their their thoughts and stuff kind of brought over here in some way Um, that's something I can't do. I don't speak Japanese, but (laughs) I think if I did really go out of my way to speak Japanese and could like actually navigate the culture in a way that would like allow me to do that, um, that would be one of the things I really would want to do is just like go talk to Japanese players and like their perspective on that stuff. I think it'd be really interesting. There's probably somebody out there doing that, but anyways, that aside what am I talking about? <laughs> Earthbound. Mother, let's shove that out the window. This is gonna be a long podcast, apparently. So please enjoy. Um Chrono Cross got announced, so this was that um HD remake. I'm not sure if this is like what people were expecting. So if you didn't know, around like I think it's the video game awards time, uh late last year, um in December, there was like a rumor that Chrono Cross is getting a remake. And I feel like, I can't remember for sure, I feel like at the time it was like a full Final Fantasy VII remake style remake, right? Um, this is more around the lines of like a Final Fantasy 8, the update character models, change the backgrounds, things like that. Um, and really cool in this release is that they're including Radical Dreamers, which if you don't know is like a text adventure kind of thing. That was uh, only distributed on the Super Nintendo via like the um, the satellite service that the Super Nintendo had called Satellaview. There's a ton of people out there who have done a whole breakdown of Satellaview. I won't go into it. I already made this podcast way too long. But that's included in there. It's the first thing they released that in English. And uh, there, I mean, there's no real way to play that in Japanese officially now, right? Um, Radical Dreamers, I believe, was fan translated. So like it's not necessarily anything new per se. But the official localization of it, still very cool um, to see that. Um, and one thing I do like is, so they did enhance the character models and things like that. Um, but they do allow you to like turn those off and you can go back to the original models apparently. So that's pretty cool. Um, they do try to do AI upscaling for the backgrounds. I don't know if this is the first time Square Enix has done this, um, where they basically use AI to upscale the pre-rendered backgrounds in the game. Um, the problem that these kind of HD remakes of Final Fantasy games usually have are HD, sorry, remasters I should say games that are using a lot of the original assets and things like that and are built on top of the previous game the problem have is like the character models are usually high resolution because you know the 3d rendered so you can res- like render them out as high you- as you want essentially but the backgrounds were built for a system that was using you know a much smaller resolution displayed on a blurry tiny tv right and, um, and so they, they just do not mix well when you put that on an HD display running in 1080p. So AI upscaling is a way to handle that. Um, and again, I don't know if Scranks has done this in the past, but they are doing it with this game. Um, it does look rough in a lot of ways. However, I would much rather them do that and then also give the option to turn it off than not try at all um obviously it would always be best to have the like source files and they could use that but i'm guessing those are long gone at this point so pretty cool i still have not played chrono trigger myself and will not play chrono cross until i play chrono trigger so um i should do that at some point just hasn't ever been like a high priority and if you've been listening to this podcast you know jrpgs Not exactly something I get around to very often at this point in my life, unfortunately. So yes, speaking of JRPGs, Live Alive. I always called it Live Alive, but it sounds like, I think in the Direct they called it Live Alive. Um, And this is another like Super Nintendo RPG that did have a fan translation, but now they're doing it in the style of like the, um, what's that game called? Octopath Traveler. I think it's called like HD2D is what they call it or something like that. And it's like a 3D background, so like, to, like 2D sprites and stuff like that. So very cool that's coming over. That game seems really neat. It always reminds me of kind of a saga game because you have all these different characters with different story arcs and things like that. Um, but it always seemed maybe a little more friendly than a saga game to me. A lot more straightforward and maybe a little more narrative focused. Um, I could be wrong about that, but that was the impression I had of Live Alive. So cool to see that coming over. More old video games. Klonoa. Uh forget Fantasy Reverie? 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 Um that's coming to the Switch as well. Um I have never played a Klonoa game. I don't know if I ever will, but um that's cool. Um it's basically a, a HD remake of I think the Wii version of the game and the PS2 version of Klonoa 2. There's like there's like a remake they did of the, the first game on the Wii, and so I think they picked those two because they visually probably look very similar. I'm not sure if there's any like real visual enhancements outside of just, you know, being rendered at a higher resolution so um but uh that's that's cool that they're doing that i did not expect to see klonoa although apparently there was like some sort of trademark that happened but i'm not nearly as tapped into the day-to-day news as i used to be so uh, i missed that but hey very cool i know klonoa fans are desperate so i i appreciate anything that gets added for klonoa fans new video games actually let's talk about something that's not it's only like half new Um, Mario Kart 8 DLC I'm not going to say too much about this because everybody knows what it is basically they're releasing like a ridiculous number of tracks um basically from now until 2023 the end of 2023 so um this makes a lot of sense Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has been selling like crazy recently I feel like it kind of came back in the charts but I could be wrong it's always been selling crazy um I'm a big fan of the DLC they put out in Mario Kart 8 on the on the Wii U so seeing them finally expanding Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is great I'm glad they're doing that Um, Will it make me finally bite the bullet to play Mario Kart 8 Deluxe? I don't think so. I think I just have so many other racing games I'd rather be playing right now. Um, But it does make me curious for sure. Especially since some of the courses are actually coming into the mobile game. I believe all the courses, if I recall correctly, are none of them are unique courses. I think they're all coming from past games. But it is a ton of courses. So still very cool though. And you know, I know there's a lot of people playing Mario Kart out there. So good on them. All right new video games that I care about, or at least I'm pretty sure these are new. I don't, I have not seen them before. Uh, SD Gundam Battle Alliance. This seems like a kind of like, um, third person action Gundam game. Uh, I'm a big fan of these like third person action Gundam games. I just never play them. I think kind of a big barrier is that I would mostly play them with other people and I've had a really hard time getting other people to play them. Um, like the Gundam Breaker series, right? uh, things like that. So, um, SD Gundam Battle Alliance seems really cool. It also has online co-op multiplayer. So depending on how that looks, I might try to harass other people into playing that with me too. Um, but yeah, it's like a third person Gundam game. And, uh, I think Gundam Breaker, if I recall correctly, is more like Gunpla. So you like switch out parts and you like, you get parts from enemies and things like that. Um, where I don't know like how much customization there'll be in a game like SD Gundam Battle Alliance. It reminds me a little bit of the level five game. I forget what it was called um i can't remember what it's called but there's a level 5 mech game that came out recently looks very similar to that to me so i'm also interested in that level 5 mech game but they have not localized it um but i do believe sd gundam battle alliance has been announced for the for the western market or at least it's an english release i don't know if it's going out to asia specifically um on the japanese direct there also was a game called loop 8 this is kind of a uh i think they called it like a simple RPG or something. Um, it's just got a really nice look to it. It's like, it's about this, like, I think it's like a high school kid, if I recall correctly. And it's like these yokai around and stuff like that. Not yokai watch. Yokai watch four is still dead in the water. Um, uh, but it looks pretty neat. looks pretty cool. It's unique to the Nintendo direct press conference as well. So it was, ex- it was pretty cool to see that. I don't think I'll play it. Um, again, JRPG is just not something I've made a lot of progress on recently, but very cool. Um, very like anime aesthetic kind of thing. There's also Nintendo switch sports. I'm a big, like, Wii Sports, we Play kind of fan, so I was very excited to see this. I'm probably going to try the open beta. I forgot what it was. I think I wrote that down here. Uh, maybe not. I think it's, like, the 18th, maybe, is when that beta happens. I might check out that open beta. Uh, I believe I still have an active um, uh, Nintendo account. You do need the uh, Nintendo Switch Online account to, to play, so... Uh, I, I might check that out. But I'm a big fan of those games, so I'd love to see what they can do with that on the, the Switch. You know, how the Joy-Con handles it. Um, kind of a big difference between the Wii and the um, Nintendo Switch when it comes to motion controls is you don't have the pointer. And a key thing with the pointer is the, uh, and when I say pointer, I mean the infrared you know, remember the sensor bar you put up on top of your TV or below your TV when you played a Wii? That's like a pointer that shows up um, that you used for like tracking, you know, where the Remote was pointing. But one thing they also did was it also helped um, sync like the gyro motion controls in games like Zelda and things like that. So um, when you take that away it um, makes it easier for those controls to get out of sync, essentially. Um, I think there have been, I think it was like Skyward Sword, because of how the changes they made to those motion controls, it ended up coming out to be more accurate, if I recall correctly. So even though it's lacking that, they ended up fixing it. Um, But I'll be curious to see how this game plays in comparison to the Wii games that had a little bit more, um, you know, a different type of technology to kind of keep it in sync, where this is going to be a little more reliant on the player, you know, um, you know, not going too crazy with the gyro and then the gyro being able to kind of resync itself essentially in some way. Um, I am not a huge fan of the aesthetic of this game. I mean, like, let me say this first and foremost. I'm not somebody who's sitting there like, I need it to be Mii's. I like the Mii's. Um, and if they did bring Mii's in, I would want them to very much go like the Mii-topia route of like, we're really expanding what you can do with Mii customization. That is what I would want if they went with Mies, and you can still play with Mies in the game. It just seems like it's an afterthought. However, I I would rather them try to do something new than just use all the old Mies models and all that stuff. So, and they are trying to do something new. So I do pref- uh, tr- do something new. So I do prefer what they're doing with that. Um, just something about the style just does not sit well with me, and I don't know what it is. It's pretty funny because I recently like last podcast just praised. Uh, uh, curling, or what's it called? It's like, let's, let's go curling or something like that. And I was like, I kind of like how weird their character models look in terms of like, they're just very bland and plain. And then now that Nintendo's is doing, it, I'm like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because I have an expectation of budget when it comes to like Imagineer, where I feel like with Nintendo, I expect a little more polish in their, their character designs and stuff like that. So I'm sure it will grow on me. Also the male, like out, like hair that has like the, 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 pompadour looking thing in the middle that like has the two bits that s- slide back his hair kind of looks like a rocket or something I kind of hate it <laughs> but you know whatever um I-, I I'm sure once I play it I'll get used to it kind of thing right so I definitely think I'll check that game out I'm a big fan of the you know the Wii and that era of gaming so I'm I'm excited to get that a look um when that happens it also has online play I don't know anybody who's going to play Nintendo Switch online with me, for Nintendo Switch Sports online with me, but I am looking forward to at least trying the game out. And then the big game at the end there, although I think it's funny when you go and like look at all these like restreamers and stuff, um, unless you're like in a particular audience, a lot of people are like, oh, why'd they end on Xenoblade Chronicles 3? <laughs> um, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 was announced at the end. Now, um, key thing I'm going to say here, I'm a big believer of showing gameplay in your trailers. I I just, I want to see your gameplay. That is the most important thing to me when you show me your video game. So I want to see what that game's going to play like. So if you start with a trailer that shows me no gameplay, I'm immediately just like, well, I kind of don't care. <laughs> um, this is true for, for most video games, I will say. Uh, make to, to make it even worse, if you just show me a CG-like concept thing, I'm just like, all right. Like, this is not even a video game at this point. This is just a trailer you're showing me. Um, I just want to see your video game, man. Um, and, you know, what I can't say about this, at least, it is all an engine. They do see that show the characters running around the world, but no combat showed whatsoever outside of just the cutscenes and things like that. So... Um, the most important thing to me about Xenoblade game, um, or really any monolith soft game is I want to see that combat and see that user interface and be like, I have no idea what's going on. That is the good, that is a good first step for me with like a Xeno game. That's how I felt about Xenoblade two. I was like, I kind of don't care about like any of the other stuff about this game, but I did look at that combat and go like, okay. I don't know what's happening, and that's probably a good sign. Because I never want to look at a model of soft game and know what's happening in the combat. Because then at that point, I feel like, oh, they're just doing the same thing. Xenoblade Chronicles X is an exception to that. Um, you know, initially when I saw it, I was like, oh, they're doing Xenoblade Chronicles 1 combat again. I don't really want them to do that. Um, but that game is different in so many other ways. And then also the the combat itself, once you get deeper into it, has a lot of other stuff going on that's different than what Xenoblade Chronicles 1 is doing. Um So yes, that's a big long caveat just to say that I'm kind of somewhat indifferent about the trailer, um, but it's not because of anything Xenoblade Chronicles is doing specifically. Um, The other kind of aspect of the trailer is that, you know, I do, like, I'm not like super up and up and on the daily news, but I have been reading, you know, what Model of Soft has been saying over the years since Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and kind of where they want to go with moving the franchise forward. This is why I was so skeptical of xenoblade chronicles uh future connected because i was really scared that was going to like dump itself in a way that is like they're like oh like suddenly rex shows up in xenoblade chronicles future i did not really want that to happen um for for a lot of reasons i won't get into it i've complained about this enough (laughs) with, with xenoblade chronicles and stuff um but let me see what I liked about it. Um, so I like that this is kind of like what seems like a melding of a lot of the Xenoblade Chronicles like um, not only aesthetics but also world design and things like that. It feels like it has the scale of Xenoblade Chronicles X in a lot of ways. Um, not maybe so much in, in the, the space design. I kind of feel like in the trailer a lot of the spaces looked very um, actually kind of closed off in a way when you're in, on land. Um, but there are ocean segments. It seems like you have a boat at some point in the game. It may be a mech you know, knowing how Xenoblade Chronicles is or Xeno games in general. Um, so so it kind of looks like you had an ocean you might be able to explore to some degree. And um, also uh, when you're like walking around the world itself, there's like a lot of vertical space you can kind of climb up or at least in the sh- areas they showed in the game. But you can see kind of that whole area and everything. The The big thing I have about world structure with Xeno games at this point is I don't really know what they can do to... Um, Impress me at this point with xeno i kind of i kind of like when you show me in a trailer at least like it's, it's gonna be really hard for me to really get excited um they kind of did the two things right they did uh xeno by x which is um you know that kind of big open world experience go anywhere you want whenever you want for the most part there's some restrictions but largely go anywhere you want anywhere you want when you want then you have xeno Chronicles one which takes more of the like um like I guess you'd call it to me it's like a Deus ex style is what I always used to call it, of just like pockets of areas in a linear fashion. And in those pockets, there's places to explore. But you always come back to that point and go to the next area. And then it opens back up. It's always, you know, it's basically like a chain of diamonds or something like that, right? Um that you're you're going through. And um I really uh respect the world design of Xenoblade Chronicles 1. It does a amazing job. I should specify it's been a long time since I've played Kingdomly Chronicles 1. But it it, it does a good job of leading the player through an environment, um, despite it being open, and drawing their attentions to different landmarks to kind of pull them through an area. And no matter what path you go on, there is like a set of things that are interesting along the way. And it creates you know, probably a limited set of paths, honestly. I mean, you can go wherever you want, like, you know, as you go up it, but, you know, w- what naturally draws your eye in a way that, that you know, probably makes a lot of sense of why Breath of the Wild has that same design philosophy to it of just like what's drawing your eye all the time uh, because Soft did a lot of work on the open world aspect of that game, right? Um, and that's what Xenoblade Chronicles 1 does really well. And I believe Torna, the golden country, does a very good job of it too. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 does not do a good job of it. I think Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is a claustrophobic mess. <laughs> it's, it's not only very small in terms of area design. Um, there, there are big scales, but it, it is very limited in a lot of ways. Um, but it doesn't feel like a world that flows. I feel like you just kind of end up in weird spots of the world and none of it really leads into where you want to go a lot of the times. And especially early on when they didn't figure out like how the mapping system worked um, until they patched it down the line um it it was very difficult to navigate that world once you had the a proper way marker system that fixed that, but um you know that was the way like the the actual user interface that that was doing that, not like how how the world flow and when you moved through it um so that is something that like I need to, i don't know they kind of they kind of got it both ways right, and then they messed it up once and then I'm like, okay, where do you go from here with that um so maybe some kind of mix of the two I don't know um i i just don't know what to be excited about in the world design what i want honestly more than anything is i would really like to re- return to form with dungeons i love botan kytos's dungeons design and i would love to see a return to that game design in a lot of ways um so i don't think that's going to happen um it would be lovely if that's a part of the game though i will say but like dungeons are just not a big thing in xenoblade chronicles games and it- Xenoblade Chronicles games specifically there are moments that feel like dungeons for sure but just the design of them does not feel like a Botan Kytos or I believe Xenosaga had a lot of similar dungeon design as Botan Kytos but I, it's been a long time since I played Xenosaga so and I don't remember praising Xenosaga as strongly for its dungeon design so much as um, Botan Kaitos I did so anyways uh, so I'm just not really sure what to get excited about that, but visually I think the game, you know, looks, looks fine. It like, it, it does feel like a mishmash of all the games into one. And for this being a game that is essentially bringing everyone together and like the lore as well. If you didn't see it's, it's basically following up the ending of Xenoblade Chronicles one and Xenoblade Chronicles two. If you beat both of those, you kind of know where it's going with that. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of, I guess, somewhat neat. They're coming together. The problem I have with Xenoblade Chronicles' like story coming together is Xenoblade Chronicles Two feels forced into Xenoblade Chronicles One. I know they were like, "Oh, we thought of this like way early on," but Xenoblade Chronicles Two is a story that just does not stand on its own. It like mostly stands on its own, but then they kind of just like throw it out and like, "Okay, this is a story about Xenoblade Chronicles One now." (laughs) It's like it's like you had like a pretty good foundation on its own. You just like like shoved it into Xenoblade Chronicles One. So I don't know, but, um, you know, I, I hope it turns out well. I think the Chronicles two did a great job with balancing characters and their storytelling Rex, I think is a little bit, um, shallow because of what they did, but I think it ultimately served a better purpose of keeping people involved. Even if Rex kind of more or less didn't need anybody involved, it feels like, um, with that. So I feel like everything I've been saying is probably mumbo jumbo to most people at this point. Maybe I made sense. I don't know. Um, but I'm excited to play it. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Um, you know, it's pretty rare. I don't like a monolith soft game. The only two that I really have any strong negative feelings on are Xenosaga episode three. I do not like Xenosaga episode three, um, or at least did not like it. Been a long time since I played it. And then Project Cross Zone, uh, one. And I heard Project Cross Zone two is basically the same year as one. I don't know if that's true, but those are the two like poo poo monolith soft games. I I don't like, (laughs) like that much um i would always want a new ip first and foremost i think xenoblade or i think monolith soft does its best work when they're starting fresh and thankfully xenoblade chronicles 2 is a game that even though you know it does have that name and it has some ties to xenoblade chronicles 1 um it is a game that felt like it was starting fresh in a lot of ways um and i really hope xenoblade chronicles 3 feels the same i really hope this game feels like it is starting from a new mechanics perspective when it comes to xenoblade chronicles and and I, I wish story as well, but I don't think it's going to go that way with story. But, you know, I, I'm somebody who model of soft stories are, are are not super big for me. Characters are what matter to me. You know, the character arcs, all that stuff. That is what I care about in those games. If, if For for storytelling, at least. Um, and then the combat. That's the other big thing. So, so there's still room for me to really like this game. Despite all my complaints about Zenoid Chronicles 2, I still love that game. It's a great game. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say it's a great game. It's a game I very much enjoyed. There are a lot of problems with that game. Torna, the Golden Country. Now that is a great video game. Um, anyways, I do want to try to finish Soulmate Breaker before this game comes out. Don't think it's going to happen, but I would like to set that goal for myself. So that would probably put Monster Stories yet again to the side. Not that I was actively playing it. It's just I tried to actively play it and it didn't really work out. So... Anyways, that's the Nintendo Direct. I think a really good show overall. Um, you know, admittedly, I'm a Xenoblade Chronicles fan, so I maybe mean, if you're not a Xenoblade Chronicles fan, not a big deal. I mean, they showed off Kirby and stuff like that too, so I think a lot of people were excited for for what was coming out on the Switch in the first half of this year. Xenoblade Chronicles Two is coming out in September. For some reason, those games keep hitting September. So, or Xenoblade Chronicles Three. Thank you, Ben. Get the name right. Uh, that's coming out in September. So, yes. Anyways, that's it for this week. Thanks for coming. OneController.com is the website. As I mentioned earlier, you can subscribe to the Patreon and ask a question for next week. You also can get bonus content like podcasts and article readings um, through that as well. Uh, In terms of content that happened, um, there was a Cabela's uh, Survival Shadows of My Casual Review that went up last week. So if you didn't check that out, please do. Um, In terms of what's coming up this week, unfortunately, things are on hold, um, mainly because I have that panel that I need to really make a tweet about. I'm um, at Level Up Expo. I'll be doing a panel at Level Up Expo. I still have not finished it. I need to do that. That is going to be my main goal for tomorrow is to get that as close to done as possible. Because unfortunately, right now, really until March, I'm not going to have a ton of free time. So I got to get that thing put together in a way that I feel confident enough to present it. Um, and then hopefully starting March, we will be able to go forward with things. I know I've been promising stuff since like October. So I don't want to say too much. I appreciate you guys sticking through this with me, though, and and helping me like you know, t- just exist for a while. <laughs> um, um, but you know, Valkyrie Revolution video has gotten a lot of traffic recently. Don't know what's up with that. Cannot figure out where that's coming from, but cool. I'm glad. That's uh, I like that video. <laughs> um, but anyways, so so yes. But uh, that's gonna be it though for this week. Thanks for coming. Hope you guys have a great week. Uh Evergrace on 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 Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Bye!